decades ago I'm looking real good in my passport photo Amateur Traveler, episode 207. Strap on your hiking boots and your skis because today we're going to the Tyrol region of Austria. Welcome to the Amateur Traveler. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Before we get into today's interview, I do have some news stories for you. In case you haven't been following on Twitter, me or some of the fellow travel bloggers that I follow, you may have missed the ruckus that happened on the Follow Me at Sea tag. There was a number of different posts going back and forth between travel bloggers who were on a cruise, the Follow Me at Sea cruise, and those who thought cruising was sheer evil. And so I've got a couple links in the show notes to a couple articles that came out of that. One by me, how Greener Cruise is looking at some of the numbers of what the impact is, for instance, of the Oasis of the Seas and comparing that to staying home. And then there was another great post by my friend Jessica from Boots and All called Stupid Travel Arguments and Why We Should Stop Having Them. Why We Should Stop Fighting with One Another About Roller Bags Versus Backpacks, Cruises or Not, Independent travel versus going on tours. That's a great post and link to that in the show notes also. And then one last real news story, and that one just makes me not want to drive in South Korea. It's barely a travel story, but a South Korean woman passed her written exam for a driver's license after she failed it a few times over the last four years. She finally passed it on the 950th attempt. Yeah, I think I'll be taking the train in South Korea. For links to all of those news items, as well as some others, check out the show notes at AmateurTraveler.com. I'd like to welcome the show Edith, who's coming to us from Bristol, but is originally from Austria and has come to talk to us about the Tyrol region of Austria. Edith, welcome to the show. Chris, thank you very much for having me. And first of all, am I pronouncing it anywhere close? The Tyrol? The Tyrol? How do you say it? Well, in German, it would be Tyrol. Tyrol. But if you pronounce it the English way, that's fine. Okay. And if we're talking about the Tyrol, what part of Austria first are we talking about for those who don't have a map in front of them? We're talking about one of the more western regions of Austria. It's one of the nine provinces of Austria, and Mm -hmm. it's the most mountainous one. Okay. And why should someone go to the Tyrol? Well, there are different reasons. It depends on the kind of person. If you're an outdoor person, the Tyrol is just your place to go. (laughs) If you like mountains, it's fantastic. If you like climbing, mountain biking, everything's there in terms of mountains and outdoors. Of course, I must not forget skiing, because it is a skiing El Dorado, but that's the winter. Other than that, culture plays an important role in my part of the country. There is all kinds of festivals and so much you can do and see whatever person you are. As food, food is great. Whatever you want to do, there is something for you there. And I wonder, we usually talk about what would be a suggested itinerary. I wonder with this area if we should do a winter itinerary and a summer itinerary because I'm thinking it might be very different. It is very different. Yes, that's true. Okay. That would actually be a good idea, I think. Okay, so if I were to go, and let's start with the winter, since I think of, you were talking about growing up in Innsbruck, I think of that as being the Winter Olympics for those who are my age. So if I were to go in winter, what should I see? Well, you should definitely go skiing. 
That's the first thing. (laughs) If you are not into skiing and not into winter sports at all, you can still do all the sightseeing in Innsbruck. It's got tons to offer. You can go up the ski jump. You don't have to jump down. You just go up there and enjoy the sight. You can view all the Alps and have a good look out over the city. You can go up the other side of the city and take the cable car and then a lift in a gondola up to more than 2,000 meters altitude. And the views from up there, it's just breathtaking. Even for somebody who's been born there and grown up, whenever I go up, I even worked up on one of these huts. And whenever I had like a plate of good food to carry out and serve to people, I would just stop and look at the scenery. It's just breathtaking. Now you say one of these huts, and I suspect that your ski areas might be a little different from mine, because I don't have a hut in my mind. So can you describe what you're talking about? Yeah, as a tradition, we have alpine huts. So we have what we call the Alpenverein. It's a club that is there for hikers and skiers. Mm -hmm. They have huts up there, and it's not a hut as you might think of it. It's a sturdy building. It can be quite big. It sometimes has like 30, 40 rooms to rent. It's got restaurants and usually serves food, and we often have the ski slopes right next to them. So that's what I think of as a hut. And when you say the ski slopes right next to them, we're at the bottom of the slope here or the top of the slope? On top of the slope. Okay, interesting. Or in the middle of the slope, and you just ski to them and then have a, well, a beer probably or some mulled wine and then ski on a little more wobbly probably after the mulled wine. But. <laughs> now, if they're in the middle of the slope, I'm assuming I'm not skiing down the slope with my luggage if there oh, are no, rooms to stay. Okay. <laughs> you could probably, or you can t- could take a toboggan. I'm not that good a skier, actually. I don't think I could. <laughs> it has been some time since I've been on skis. In the middle of the slope, then, it would be just more of a rest stop, a place to have your mulled wine and to converse with people and... That would less be the hut, but more probably like the usual rest stops, some of them which they built only in the past couple of years. And then you have the traditional, what we call an alm, which in the summer is used by farmers because they put their cattle up onto the high meadows Mm -hmm. to graze in the summer. And in the winter, they often use the buildings to serve food to people that are skiing on the same slopes. Oh, okay. Interesting. This is something very traditional, and of course, with skiing being such a big industry, they have built huts that look like traditional alms, but are far from being traditional. They're probably five years old, but tourists like them anyway. The natives know which ones are traditional and which ones are just new. And that's ULM, U-L-M? It's A-L-M. ULM, okay, all right. Now I've got you. So when we talk about a winter itinerary, Innsbruck is where you landed us first of all. Am I staying around Innsbruck? Should I venture further afield from there? Usually, if you come by plane, you will either land in Munich or Innsbruck. Innsbruck's got a fairly sized airport for taking that Tyrol is pretty small. Um, Munich might be your cheaper option if you're coming from the United States because Munich's got direct flights. But sometimes you get pretty good deals into Innsbruck as well. Okay. So you would probably get into Innsbruck at some point. Public transport, generally speaking, for the Tyrol, it's excellent. So you don't have to have a rental car. You can go any place with public transport. Even the tiniest little village has public transport going to it. If you come by train and then just take a bus, all the bus have like extra transport boxes for the skis and for all your skiing luggage. So if you want to have a rental car, 
there are many places you can rent a car from all the major rental companies, but public transport is really good. And in times like these, with global warming and all of that, they usually say you should take public transport. And it is really reliable. It is on time. It's almost as punctual as the German trains are supposed to be. It takes you all places. Okay. Now, I'm assuming that a lot of tourists are coming into Innsbruck. Where would you go if you were trying to avoid the tourists, or where would you take your friends to go in Tyrol that's a little more off the beaten path? Well, I definitely would not go to the big ski resorts if I want to go off the beaten track. There is skiing almost everywhere. If you're not looking for one of the huge areas, because you can go skiing, some places are so big that you can ski for a week and not use the same slopes twice. Oh my, okay. So it's gigantic and they are sometimes linked to other skiing resorts so you can spend an entire day skiing and end up in a different valley and then have to take the bus back. If you're not an excellent skier, like you're really, really excellent and you just want to practice and have a good time, you can go to one of the smaller skiing areas as well and then just enjoy being out in the winter wonderland and just have a good time with friends and not boast that you have been to a place like St. Anton or Kitzbühel, which okay. are great places to go to ski. But if you want to be off the beaten track, they are not really the places to go. Okay. You mentioned that if I wasn't into skiing, that there are still places to see sightseeing. What sort of sightseeing would you recommend in the Tyrol? Generally speaking, there is so much to see. Wherever you go, if you go to the tiny little villages and you come from a place, let's say, like the United States, you will find them picturesque. Mm-hmm. They're old. There's so much culture and tradition and you can see it, you can feel it, you can breathe it. One thing that's special about my area, I think, is that it's modern and at the same time very traditional and down to earth. And that you have people who go to school like young kids with their iPods and in the afternoon they come home from school they go to their local traditional club and they dress up in their traditional costumes and practice for some traditional festivities so this is something very special I think and I'm really happy that tradition is still very strong and that they could jump over this gap of either being modern or traditional and that we are both in a way so if you want to see sites, like Innsbruck is very nice to walk through. And if you come in what we call the Advent, that's the time before Christmas, which would be from the 1st of December to Christmas Eve, we celebrate on the 24th. My mother is of German descent, so we celebrate on the 24th also. So, Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> if you come in the Advent, we have got lots of Christmas markets. They are so nice. It's usually pretty cold, and you get your mold wine, you probably get roasted chestnuts, dumplings. It's just really, really nice. That's what you can do after you've been sporty during the day, or you've visited lots of the museums or the old buildings. There are a lot of castles. There's the Hofburg in Innsbruck. Innsbruck was the seat of the emperor, or the emperor had one of its management centers for its kingdom in Innsbruck. Okay. And we're talking about the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Yeah, but that was before the Hungarians were part of it, I think, as far as my history and knowledge goes. Innsbruck used to be one of the centers for the emperors. I I think it was Kaiser Maximilian, so Emperor Max, and he enjoyed Innsbruck so much. We still have the buildings that were built for all the emperors there, and it's a majestic big building, and it's right in the city center of Innsbruck. Many tourists go there. It's got 
fabulous halls and you can go right through where the emperor slept and you can see his room and you can see the halls where they had banquets and balls and you can still rent the halls actually if you have a wedding going on and you have too much money you can rent the hall <laughs> that is unfortunately not my problem uh, <laughs> and where would you recommend that we stay i know you're parents aren't necessarily going to put me up when I come there. So is there a particular place you would recommend either for budget travelers or for higher end travelers? Generally speaking, you can find whatever you want to do. If you're a budget traveler, you can go to one of the many youth hostels. So that's really cheap. And I think it would be around 15 to 20 euros, including breakfast. Okay. But saying that this is 15 to 20 euros in a hostel you can also find private rooms, which are really nice and friendly people, en suite with bathroom usually, and delicious breakfast of different kinds of cereal and freshly baked bread and what have you for about 25 to a maximum of 30 euros. Okay. So this is something to consider. Private rooms, of course, are more expensive as well, the more service they offer or the bigger the rooms get. And if you want to go a little more high-end, we have all the big chains in Innsbruck as well with four-star hotels. And we have a five-star hotel as well. And if I'm looking for a private room, am I just walking around town looking for a Zimmerfrei sign? Or am I going to some particular central clearinghouse? Or? You could go to the tourist information and ask them. Okay. Or look it up on the internet before you go which you should definitely do in the wintertime and in the high season during summer because okay. it might be a little harder to find rooms just coming into town and not yet having a place to stay if you come in the high season. And I'm assuming we could home base in Innsbruck and get around fairly easily to any place else we were trying to get to. Yes, because it's never far. I think it's just about 200 kilometers long. You can go to any place in the Tyrol within a day and just come back to Innsbruck. But in terms of itinerary, as we started talking about, I would probably spend a couple of days in Innsbruck, have a look at all the sites. And summer and winter, there's a really good deal, I think, that I've even used being a native when I had friends come over to visit me, is a thing called Innsbruck Card. And it gives you the chance for, I think it's around 30 euros. Within 24 hours, you can visit as many museums and sites and what have you that you would like to visit and it also gives you free rides on the public transport so this is something like if you spend two or three days in Innsbruck and then just have two days doing sightseeing which you can do when the weather is not good and it that happens sure and you say the museums do you have a favorite museum or two yes there is a museum or an exhibition actually in the Hofburg which is the okay. emperor's house and it's about why people are so crazy about hiking in the Alps. And they risk their life and they still do it. And why do they do it? Why do they want to be on top of a mountain? Why are they not just satisfied sitting in the van and looking up? So this is a really nice exhibition. It's made by the Alpenverein, so this hiking club, the big uh -huh. one, the big station. And another museum I really like is the Höfe Museum, which is the museum of traditional Austrian or Tyrolean farm buildings. Okay. It might sound a little odd, but wherever they knew that there were farms and buildings that had to be demolished or... They the brought them into this one place? Uh -huh. They brought them to this one place, and you can walk around and 
if you're not from the area, you get the headset and they will tell you about the history of this building, where it's from and tell you about the architecture and how it's changed and what's special about it. And especially people who are interested in agriculture and tradition and all of that, they might really enjoy it. And this museum also puts up a lot of traditional festivals. So where they have people come in, like music bands and dressed up in traditional clothing and they have displays of how people used to make cloth, for example, from different like natural materials. And it's really, really nice and hands-on and great for kids. Okay. And when I come to the Tyrol or to Austria, what should I eat? What's the traditional meal that I shouldn't go without trying? That's a good question because people will probably tell you that it's Wiener Schnitzel. Uh-huh. Which I pronounce English now. It's Wiener Schnitzel in German. Okay. But I had it so many times that <laughs> having grown up there, it's like nothing special at all. And it's not one of my favorite dishes either. Okay. So I think you should definitely try Kaiserschmarrn, which is a sweet dish. Austrians are known to have huge sweet dishes. We can eat sure. sweets <laughs> for Maine. Like Kaiserschmarrn, is, in the restaurants you get it as, as a dessert. But back home we had it as a main dish. I know Wiener Schnitzel, where we're talking about a pounded veal cutlet, but I don't know yes. Kaiser Schmarrn. It's hard to describe, but the closest you can get is a pancake that's been cut up and covered in powdered sugar, and it's been fried just a little, and it's got raisins in it as well with some recipes, but you can always tell them not to make it with raisins. And some of the places put roasted nuts over it as well. It depends on where you buy it. Uh-huh. But it's a traditional meal, and it's really, really good. Okay. And something else is definitely all our dumplings. Oh, okay. We're famous for dumplings. And my favorite is Kaspressknödel, which is a cheese dumpling that's been fried as well. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. You should only try <laughs> it if you like cheese and if you like smelly cheeses. Because it's made with Graukäse, which is a very special cheese from my region. And it's made from a special kind of curd. It's very lean, but it smells. But it's very, very good. So if you like strong cheeses, try Graukäse, which is translated in gray cheese. <laughs> it's really good. That sounds better when you don't translate it, actually, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about winter. How would you change the itinerary if I were going in summer? If you were going in summer, first of all, I have to say, we have great summers. Sometimes I talk to people and they say, well, it's icy cold in your place all year round. And we're like, no, it's not. It's <laughs> up to like 90 degrees Fahrenheit or 30, 35 degrees centigrade in the summer. But what we can have, and this is a warning as well, pack warm stuff even for summer. Because sometimes we get cold spells. And because it is the mountains, it can get really cold. Sometimes we even have snow in August. But this is like once every 10 years or 15 years. And other than that, summers are usually warm and nice and people are outside and they enjoy that we have many lakes that you can go swimming in so that's really nice but bring a jumper and bring a waterproof jacket as well okay and i picture as you said when we started that i really should go there if i love hiking oh yes okay <laughs> you should really do hiking is big there's so many paths. The Tyrolians, as a people, are outdoorsy people in general, I would say. We love to go hiking. We love to go and just explore what's in front of our doorsteps, more or less. And there are many, many huts. What I would 
recommend is that you probably go to the Alpenverein. They have an information booth. Mm-hmm. You can tell them your fitness level and what you've done before, and then they can recommend a route for you where you can go and paths. And what's really, really cool is if you've got like two or three days that you hike up to a hut, stay at the hut, sleep there, then have good breakfast, go off the next day, hike for another four or five hours or more if you more experienced, of course, to the next hut, relax in the afternoon sun, have a gorgeous sunset up on the mountains. Some of these huts are up on 2,000, even 2,500 meters, 2,800, so that's really, really cool. You sometimes even have glaciers really close by. Mm. So you stay up there, the food's usually very, very good and very traditional, and they take great care to use organic or regionally grown produce. It's just such a great feeling. You can get away from it all up there. Even though the valleys might be bustling with energy and trade and traffic. And you go up into the mountains and it's a different world. And you cross over the alpine pastures and you have the cows out there with their bells around their necks. And you go through areas that have been farmed traditionally for hundreds of years. And then you come up to the higher regions and you have the gorgeous panorama of the Alps in front of you and you walk to this hut. And I admit it, sometimes hiking up to these huts is exhausting. But once you get there, if you drink beer, you have a good cold beer, a jug of half a liter of good Tyrolean beer in front of you and you have a traditional hearty meal that warms you up and nothing feels better than this. And my understanding is if I don't want to, for instance, backpack up there, am I wrong that there are also places where I can have my luggage sent to the next hut and then hike there myself less encumbered? Yes, there are. Okay. What you have to bear in mind as well is that if you hike from hut to hut, even if they do not offer this backpack transportation system, which many of the huts, especially the huts that are along one of the more famous multi-day tracks, uh-huh. they usually all offer backpack transportation. But as you can sleep in the hut, you don't have to bring your own sleeping bag. You don't have to bring pots and pans and right, sure. um, your food. <laughs> Just a so change usually, of clothes or a tool- yeah, toothbrush a, a, or something. <laughs> a day pack is usually fine. Uh-huh. Okay. And what is your favorite hike? My favorite hike? My favorite hike is actually up Nockspitze. Because I can do that when I get back home from work. I just jump into my car, be in the car for like 10 minutes, and get out of the car, run up the mountain. I usually run up the mountain and be up on this mountain, look down on Innsbruck because you can see Innsbruck from this valley and you see all the Alps all, all around you. And the panorama is just absolutely breathtaking. And it just takes me an hour to get up to this mountain, which is, I think it's something above 2000. I can't remember exactly. It's just so great to be up there. And if you're fit, the entire thing just takes you three hours from the car up the mountaintop and back down again. And you can just do that after work in summer. Okay. And we said in the winter we should come, particularly in Advent. For all the Christmas markets. And the Advent is also the time when you have to come for Christmas markets. Sometimes skiing is not that great at this time of year because the snow has not yet come. Sometimes it has come, like this year, it's been pretty early, my parents told me, and they had like half a meter of snow already. So February or something might be better for skiing. Early March and January is definitely skiing season. And then if I want to come to hike, what's the best time? If you don't want to hike up too high, it would be June, because if you go up to the high mountain passes, they are still covered in snow. Sure. So for the regular hike here, that wouldn't be something. But if you're a professional, the glaciers are great for professional glacier hiking. But... 
general hiking, I would say June, July, August and September because we have very nice autumn weather usually that goes into October as well. And September and October, if you're traveling on a budget, are much cheaper already, but usually the weather is fine. Okay. So if you're traveling on a budget, that would be something. And winter, if you're not into skiing, you can go cross-country skiing. Or what I really love and what I always show all my friends from all over is tobogganing or going down the mountain uh, okay. on the sleigh. Uh-huh. So you have these little toboggans and you pull them up to one of the little huts or the alm huts. You walk up the hill for about an hour to two hours and then you sit down, have a glass of wine or mulled wine or beer or whatever, eat delicious food, have a chat with your friends and it's really cozy in there. They usually have a log fire and it's small and really, really nice. And once you've warmed up, you put your gloves on, your head on, you go outside, everything's white, covered in snow and crystally clear air. And then you go down a small slope on your toboggan for about 30 minutes. Like, more or less all the way you walked up, you're going downhill. And it's really breathtaking. (laughs) And it's pretty exciting as well. Because I took friends and they were like, oh, it's not going to be really exciting. It's just something she does. And they loved it afterwards. They were hooked. And you go pretty fast, like up to 30 miles an hour, I would say, sometimes. And you have to be careful Please, this is a warning. Many people die each year because they get drunk and then they run the toboggan into a tree, which you shouldn't do because the tree (laughs) is stronger. (laughs) But it is so much fun and it is free. So if you're traveling on a budget, all you have to pay is um, the food in the alm, which is cheap too. Okay. And at the risk here of getting you homesick, when (laughs) (laughs) when you picture your home, when you picture the Tyrol and you picture the most beautiful spot, Where are you standing and what are you looking at? I'm standing at a place called Ochsenalm, which is an alm area. The name translates that they put their oxen up there Uh during the summer. And it's a teeny tiny traditional alpine cottage that the shepherds use. And it just fits into the landscape perfectly. Behind this little cottage, you have cows grazing and some sheep. And then the scenery goes on and you have all the beautiful mountains and there might already be some early snow there and the sun just comes through some little clouds and just puts beautiful autumn light on to the scenery. Now I'm homesick, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) As we go to wrap this up, and I was afraid that was going to (laughs) happen, one warning you would give. You mentioned bring rain gear in the summer. We mentioned don't drive your toboggan into a tree. Anything else <laughs> we should know if we're going to the Tyrol? Um, anything else? Um, don't go to Apreshi, which is where you drink a lot, and then still have all the way down the slope. And something else is if there is a warning for avalanches, don't ignore it. So okay. many people each year think they can outrun an avalanche, and they can't. Avalanches often travel with like 100 miles an hour. You yeah. can't outrun an avalanche. <laughs> so if there's a but warning avalanche. for an avalanche, go someplace else is really what you're saying. Yeah, don't ignore warnings for avalanches. Okay. The people that put up the warning signs, they know their job. <laughs> okay. I want you to finish this thought. You really know you're in the Tyrol when what? When you see beautiful countryside, but you're still 
in a country where you can get all your modern amenities, but you can at the same time get away from it all. Okay. Any suggestions for best resources to plan a trip to the Tyrol? Definitely use the internet. If you use the guidebooks, what I found when I talked to friends who use the guidebooks, they say that the guidebooks focus too much on the bigger villages and the areas that are known by tourists already. Uh-huh. So dare to just venture out and go someplace that you've seen on the map. Go to the tourist office and ask how to take a bus to go there or where you have to go for the buses and just go there and explore on your own. And other than that, use the internet. And when you say use the internet, that's rather a large place. <laughs> Could we get a little more specific? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are many places. If you just type in Tyrol, but don't write it with the Y, but an I instead. Um, oh, okay. So Tyrolian way, or the German way of writing it would be T-I-R-O-L. And then tourism probably would do the trick. Or there's another side if you want to book the hotels. It's discover.com, I think, but discover not with a D, but with a T. Discover.com, okay. So it would be discover. That's a place that I sometimes use if I go on a holiday in my own country and need a place to stay. Excellent. And then if you had to summarize the Tyrol in three words, what three words would you use? Picturesque. Traditional. Uh Uh-huh. And lovable. Excellent. Edith, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us your obvious love for where you grew up, and I hope we didn't make you too homesick for it. No, no. I'm going home for Christmas, so that's good. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. I do have one internet resource for you, and it's one I heard about this week. It's a site called airportprivacyhavens.com, and it's a place to find a quiet spot if you're stuck in an airport for a while and you're looking for a way to get away from the hustle and bustle. Where in each particular airport can you get away from it? It reminds me a little bit of the movie The Terminal, but anyway, airportprivacyhavens.com. In news of the community, the Amateur Traveler was again nominated for a podcast award. If you'd like to support the show, feel free to go to podcastawards.com. You can go there daily until the end of November 2009 when the voting ends. And I'd still like people to fill out the ADM survey, the survey for the Association for Downloadable Media. And I'll put a link to that both in the show notes as well as in the enhanced, the iTunes enhanced version of the show. I also announced on the Amateur Traveler fan page, the Facebook fan page, a meetup in New York City, which will be on December 22nd. I'm not sure where yet, but if you're interested in that, go to Facebook, to the fan page, and we're coordinating where we'll be. There's at least one person who said that they are interested in meeting up with me then, so check that out. I've had a couple different articles go up on the site, on the blog, about different locations. Some of them from people who commented to me about the show, and they commented in so much detail that I really asked them to turn that into a blog post about specific locations. So you might check that out at the Amateur Traveler blog. That's also a great way to give feedback. If you would like to tell us something about a location we've already done a show about, we're probably not going to do a second show. That happens very rarely. But write me a blog post. Share your experiences with the other members of the Amateur Traveler community by writing a blog post for the AmateurTraveler.com site. 
There is a new iPhone application I think you might be interested in. It is the Amateur Traveler iPhone application. And that application allows you to stream the show to get all the different episodes of the show on the iPhone and then also to dial in directly from that phone if you want to leave a comment on the voicemail line or to send an email to me directly from the iPhone application. It also allows me to do some bonus content. I haven't figured out what to do with that yet. And Libsyn, who is my hosting provider, created this application and it is available for $2 at the iPhone App Store. With that, I think we'll wrap up this episode of The Amateur Traveler. I know that's a lot of news things to throw here at the end. If you're interested in leaving a comment about the show, go to AmateurTraveler.com or drop me an email at host at AmateurTraveler.com or follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Chris2x for all the news about me, Twitter.com slash AmateurTraveler for just the news about The Amateur Traveler. And again, thanks so much for listening. Cathedral. I got to sit in one more cafe. I know that I should be 